please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Second uh, Samuel. Second Samuel, and you'll find this on page 257 if you're looking at the church Bibles, and we're reading at verse 1. Second Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron, before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from uh, the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elashima, Eliada, and Eliaphelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. 
Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Raphaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to the rear, and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezir. We have been, uh, in our evenings together, been looking at the book of Samuel uh, for quite some time. And we have been looking at uh, how Israel came to embrace a kingdom, how they came to have a king ruling over them. And the book of 2 Samuel is really devoted uh, to the reign of Israel's King David. And it has been taking us on this long journey. We first were introduced to David back in Bethlehem. You remember that David was anointed by a prophet, that he was anointed by Samuel with the purpose that he would be consecrated for the Lord's work. He was going to do some great work by the Lord, and that's what the anointing was signifying. And ultimately, David would become king over Israel. He would be Israel's greatest king in the old covenant economy. But it would be many years before that a young man in Bethlehem would become king. But his journey would take him from Bethlehem ultimately to Jerusalem. And this evening we want to look at how David became king, not only of one tribe, but ultimately how he came to rule over all the tribes of Israel, how he became Israel's king. And we want to look at it, how uh, ultimately it was because the Lord was with David and caused him to succeed. And we want to see that because the Lord will cause his chosen servant to succeed, we are to be devoted to the Lord's servant. We are to be devoted to the one whom the Lord has chosen. You remember that Saul had died, and David had heard news of Saul's death and asked if now was the time for him to go up into the land of Judah, if he should now relocate uh, into the land of Israel. And the Lord told him to go up, and he went to Hebron, uh, one of the areas within Judah, and there it tells us he was anointed as king over the tribe of Judah. David was king. But we highlighted that David became king in a very obscure way. Only one tribe acknowledged him as king. The other tribes did not. And so there is this gap or there is this delay uh, in Israel's history where David is a king. His beginning of his kingdom is very obscure, very small. But it is something that grows bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And eventually, he becomes king over all the tribes. And that's what we see here in chapter 5. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. And we want to see why this happened. Why is it that after all this time, now the tribes of Israel come to acknowledge David? And we want to look at this chapter in two thoughts. We want to think about the discernment of the people. And then we want to think about the demonstration uh, of the accomplishments attained. Well, first, there is the discernment of the people. 
When they came to David, uh, it says there in verse 1, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. We don't have to think of this meaning that every single Israelite came to Hebron. Uh, It's saying that all the tribes of Israel came. But that would mean all the representatives of those tribes came to David at Hebron. You remember earlier when Abner, the commander of Saul's army, was trying to organize uh, the allegiance switching over to David. It tells us that Abner did not go and talk to every single Israelite. He went to talk to the leaders in the tribes of the people of Israel. It tells us back in chapter 3 that he went and talked to the elders in verse 17. And so here when it says that all the tribes of Israel came to David, we're to understand that meaning representatives of those tribes came to David. And that's what it says later on in verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. That the people of God have always been led by representatives, those who are entrusted with that role of caring for the people collectively. That was true in the Old Testament, and it's also true in the church even today. There are elders that are called and entrusted with the responsibility of leading the people of God. And we see that happening here. But it says that all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, And they said, behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Notice here that it is the people of Israel that are coming to David. Uh, It is not David imposing himself. It is not David bringing them uh, to scream out uncle. But rather it is them coming and acknowledging David for what he is. They are acknowledging that David is king. And they explain what they're doing here in a number of statements. They're explaining why there is this shift that is taking place. Uh, The first thing that they said is, is we are your bone and flesh. At the very least, what they are saying there is they are recognizing there's a sense of kinship between them. We We are brethren. We are people that share a connection. We are all descendants of Abraham. They are recognizing something about about David. The law of God in the Old Testament required that any king who ruled over Israel was to come from within the covenant community. It was to be one of your brothers. You were not to have a foreigner rule over you. And so at the very least, what they are saying here is they are recognizing that David shares that that, uh, familial or that brotherly characteristic, that he is one of them. He's a brother Israelite. But it seems like they're saying more than that, doesn't it? Because they're not saying you are our bone and flesh, but rather they are saying here in verse 1, we are your bone and flesh. The emphasis seems to be lying in the fact that they are drawing a connection between themselves and David. And in coming to David, they are acknowledging that David is king. And they are claiming a connection to him as a result. They are looking to find their refuge in David. They are looking to find protection under him because he is one of them. And so they're, they're laying claim to that connection by saying, you are king and we want to find our, our identity with you. We want to come under your reign and give our allegiance to you. But the second thing that they do in explaining what they're doing is, is that they say, they, they look back on David's past. 
They go on and they say, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was actually you who let us out and who brought us in. In other words, they're saying, David, you were the one that actually led us out into battle. David, you were the one that ultimately brought victory and prosperity to our nation. And so what they're highlighting here is by looking back on David's past, David has shown himself to be a competent, a capable leader over the nation of Israel. You have shown yourself to be a mighty warrior, but you've also shown yourself to be someone who has brought prosperity to our nation. And so they're explaining what they're doing here by saying, David, we see what you've done in the past. You're competent to lead us. And they draw attention to that. But when they come to David at Hebron, they don't just simply say, there's a kinship between us. And David, you have been a great warrior for us in times past. Their greatest statement is the third statement that they make. They make appeal to the word of God. They go on and they said, the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel. Ultimately, they are coming to David not simply because Ishbosheth is dead. You remember that there was a time in Israel when there were two kings, that after Saul died, we are told that Abner, the commander of Saul's army, installed the son of Saul to become king, and that Ephraim and Benjamin and all the tribes of Israel, with the exception of Judah, embraced him. But we're told here that the people of Israel knew better. They knew there was a promise of God that there would be one who would shepherd the people of Israel, who would be a man of the Lord's own choosing, a man that was better than Saul himself. And here they're coming and they're saying, we know, David, the promise was about you. And so now there is this question that we bring up that asks, if they knew of that promise... Why was it for seven and a half years that David was reigning over Judah, but not Benjamin, and not Ephraim, and not all the other tribes? They knew the word. And ultimately, the answer is not just because they had already Ishbosheth. The reason is, is because they had not come to their senses. They were willing to endure and to put up with Ishbosheth even though they knew the truth, even though God's promise was given to them. It's only now that they're prepared to receive that word. It's only now that they are prepared to act on it. And so uh, we see them coming to David, coming uh, finally to their senses. Finally, the word of God's promise is taking hold of them, and they are prepared to receive it. It was foolish of them, in other words, to give their loyalty before to Ishbosheth. It was foolish of them not to act beforehand. But here it is, Israel's history. For seven years, they didn't act. They didn't have David as their king. And it's only now that they are acting. But that's like what scripture says of every one of us. That by nature we are foolish because we do not embrace, we do not receive God's word. We live our lives without reference to God's promise. We live our lives as we see fit. 
That's what Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Christianity uses the language of conversion. We speak about the need to be converted. What, is, what do Christians mean when they talk about conversion? What does it mean that a person must be converted to enter the kingdom of God? To be converted is someone who has come to receive the truth of God's promise. It is someone who has embraced uh, the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, to uh, receive him as king is to enter the kingdom of God. That is what is being accented here. They have come to embrace what beforehand they had failed to. They recognize that the Lord is with his servant and God's blessings are realized in him. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has come to embrace something that beforehand they were not embracing. A Christian is someone who has come to embrace God's promises are about Jesus. They are someone who has come to embrace the fact that Jesus is king and that God's blessings are communicated through him. And so just as these elders at come to Hebron, they are saying, we are your bone and your flesh. A Christian is one who comes saying, my life is found in you. That God's blessings will be realized in you because you're the promised one. And a Christian is one who says, I want to live under the rule of Christ because that's where my hope is found. So to be converted is someone who has come to receive Jesus as king. It is to recognize that he is the focus of God's promises. It is to recognize that God's blessings are wrapped up in him and to gladly live under his will, just as the elders are doing here with David. So there is the discernment uh, of the people. They come to David. They come now after seven years. Not just because Ishbosheth is dead, but because they finally have come to their senses. God's word is something they're willing to embrace now. God's word promised that you would shepherd us. God's word said that you would be leader over Israel. And so we are embracing it. But there's also the demonstration of the fact that the Lord was with David. Not only do these elders recognize it as they look back, as they look to the word, but it is something that is demonstrated in the achievements that David uh, accomplishes. You notice there in, in verses 6 and following that it tells us that David went to uh, Jerusalem uh, and he went against the Jebusites. There is a couple of reasons that you might think of, of why David is doing this. Uh, David is going to Jerusalem uh, uh, ultimately to prepare his capital. Uh, Jerusalem will become the city of David. But Jerusalem is a place that will unite the people of Israel together. Uh, that Jerusalem is actually strategically located right at the border of the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And it is something that brings people together rather than simply dividing the people. Uh, and so David had his reasons why this might be something to pull the people together. But more than that, the reason why David is going there is because the tribe of, uh, because Jerusalem was still under the occupation of the Jebusites. When God promised Abraham that he would give him uh, and his offspring a land of promise, 
It was the land that belonged to the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Jebusites, but it was also uh, the land that belonged to the Jebusites. And when you read in the historical books, you'll read about how when Israel invaded the land, as they came to occupy that promised land, they failed to take Jerusalem. That the tribe of Benjamin was not able uh, to, uh, to take over Jerusalem. And so the Jebusites continued to live there. And that is perhaps part of the reason why they were so confident when David came uh, to claim the city. Uh, not only was Jerusalem a fortress that seemed impenetrable, but more than that, Israel had failed in the past. Under Joshua's leadership, they did not take it. Benjamin could not do it, uh, despite multiple attempts. But now David is preparing to do the same thing. He is preparing to lay claim to the promises of God, to secure God's blessings, and uh, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. And so despite the mockery of the Jebusites, it uh, tells us in verse 7 that David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Where Benjamin failed, where the people of Israel failed in the past, David succeeded. David succeeded where others had failed. And it was due to the fact that God was with him. Uh, and so the land, uh, the, the, the city of Zion uh, is uh, taken over as the city of David. David seems uh, to have instructed his men to go up the water shaft in order uh, to enter the city, in order to attack what he calls the lame and the blind. He's using their, their own uh, insults back on them uh, as he expresses his hostility towards those who reject his kingship. And so ultimately, uh, David's uh, attempts are uh, successful. In verse 10, it says, David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. So all of this is highlighting how is it that we see that the Lord was with him. He succeeded where others had failed. He is securing God's promised blessings that were given to Abraham. He is occupying the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and all of this is showing that God is with him. And God's promises to Abraham are finding their fulfillment in part, even in the life of David. Now, when you think of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a, a, a place that continues to get a lot of interest even today. Uh, it gets a lot of interest even in the, the news. And perhaps, or uh, not perhaps, but uh, part of that is because of the interest that many Christians, but also Jews and Muslims have in this city. And part of the uh, fascination with Jerusalem is due to um, uh, looking at only part of scripture or of only thinking about Jerusalem in terms of one point in time. But what is the significance of Jerusalem here? <clears throat> Here in this chapter, you're starting to see the prominence that begins to come around Jerusalem. And why is Jerusalem so important? Jerusalem is important because it is a place that symbolizes the unity of God's people. The, the, the nation of Israel will no longer be divided, but that they are united under the city of, of David. That it is in Jerusalem where the king reigns. And so it highlights the man that God has chosen. God's blessings are being secured through Jerusalem. But it is also in Jerusalem that we see the enemies of God's people being driven away. 
And so, in part, we're starting to see some of the significance of Jerusalem that later parts of Scripture pick up on. But when you read through the Bible, you see that there's a a development moving beyond simply the physical city of Jerusalem to the meaning of what Jerusalem conveyed. Jesus' coming in this world shifts our focus away from the physical city itself to thinking about the heavenly Jerusalem, to thinking about new Jerusalem. That's what the writer of Hebrews highlights and what the book of Revelation highlights, which we read earlier. And I saw a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. That Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, is this depiction of the unity of God's people under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ where the enemies of God's people are done away with, where they are driven away. And that is ultimately where our focus should be on. It is on the the fulfillment of God's promises. And we see even the, the beginning seeds of that here in 2 Samuel. The unity of God's people, the securing of blessing, and the driving away of God's enemies. So all of that is highlighting how the Lord's success, how the Lord is with David. He has succeeded where others have failed. When we look uh, to uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, we see how he reigns even now and how he will reign in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, God's blessings are communicated. What is the effect of Christ's death and resurrection? One of them is the unifying of God's people, including Jews and Gentiles, that the dividing wall has been removed and that now we are one in Christ. Jesus himself says in John's gospel, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he has united God's people He communicates God's blessings on the basis of his righteousness. So the Lord was with David. How do you know? Because he succeeded where others failed. He captured Jerusalem. And God's reign was visible even through his servant David. But the Lord was with David in another way. And that is in the way that David's fame spread beyond the borders of Israel itself. It tells us in verses 11 and 12, that Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David. He sends cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built a palace for David. Uh, David would uh, lean upon the king of Tyre for the supplies uh, of building up his own uh, kingdom, his own palace. But all of this was communicating that David's kingdom was being secured and established, that the Lord had made him king, but he had made him king for the sake of serving the people of God. But all of this is communicating that David's fame was spreading beyond the borders of Israel. It was going out to the nations. It was clear that the Lord was with him because even the nations were taking notice of it. Now, obviously, Tyre would become very grateful by what David would accomplish. David would attack the Philistines. He would defeat the Philistines. Neighboring Tyre would be very appreciative of that. But there's a recognition that David's achievements are spreading. The news of it is being heard by the nations around. And they are celebrating what he is accomplishing. It's clear that the Lord is with him. And the nations are beginning to take notice. 
But in another way, we see that the Lord is with David. It tells us in verses 17 uh, through the end of his defeat of the Philistines. In the midst of all of this, we read about uh, David's own shortcomings again, that he took even more concubines and wives. In the midst of all his success, David is still uh, someone who falls short in many areas of his own life. And this is true even when he becomes king in Jerusalem. But uh, it tells us about uh, his success against the, the Philistines. He asks uh, the Lord if he should go and fight them and if the Lord will give them into his hand. And the Lord says he will give them into his hand. And ultimately, it says that he did defeat them. And David later on reflects uh, that the Lord burst through his enemies like a bursting flood. Think about that. Whenever there's a flood that rises up, the flood waters overcome the, the barrier that holds them back. Uh, the flood waters conquer uh, the, the land barrier. They, they, they simply overwhelm whatever is trying to withstand them. And then it just spreads. Uh, and it's hard to stop it. And David is saying, this is what it was like fighting with the Philistines. The Lord's favor caused him to succeed. And the Lord's power was bursting over and overwhelming the enemies of uh, God's people. And so he had a great success against the Philistines. And even so much that the Philistines left their idols on the field. And if you remember back in 1 Samuel, what happened with the Ark of the Covenant? The people of Israel had brought out the ark, thinking it would help them in battle. And ultimately, the Philistines took it away. But now under David, the tables are reversed. And we're told that the people of Israel are those who take the idols of the Philistines and ultimately have them burned in the end. They're defeating the idols that cannot speak, the idols that cannot move, and the idols that have no smell. And it is demonstrating the living God for who he is. There is a second battle, and again, uh, uh, David's uh, men are victorious. But what is noteworthy is, is that when they are to attack, it is in a different way. They are to attack when they hear the sound of marching on the top of the balsam trees, because then they will know that the Lord has gone out before them to strike down the, the army. David's fighting is successful because the Lord is fighting for his people. The Lord was clearly with David. He succeeded where other people failed. His fame was spreading and his kingdom was becoming more secure. He defeated the Philistines and drove them back uh, as he lived in obedience to God's will. But in a much greater way, the father was and is with his son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus did what he did because the father was with him. Because the Spirit empowered him. Because he is the Lord's chosen servant. He did the miracles that he did because of uh, the favor of God. But he succeeded where others failed. He lived a life of righteousness. Where you and I have failed. We have failed to attain, to conquer sin. But Christ has conquered it. He lived obedient to the Father's plan all the way to the point of laying down his life on the cross. He secured God's blessings, not simply a city, but he secured eternal life for all who belong to him. So it comes back to this question of, have we come to our senses? Are we like the elders who came to Hebron who say, 
We are your bone and flesh. We recognize not only what you have done in the past, but we recognize that God's word, God's promise is about you. That we recognize that the promise of God's salvation is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. We're coming not because of just pragmatic concerns, but we're coming because we know who Jesus is. Are we people who have come to our senses? Are we people that continue to suppress the word of God? Are we people that continue to live looking to idols ultimately to deliver us? For seven and a half years, the people of Israel did not recognize David as king. But eventually they came to their senses. Where are we at this evening? Have we come to trust in the Lord Jesus as king and savior of sinners? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that by your spirit you would cause us to come to our senses, that we would recognize that your word is truth and that your word speaks and directs us to your son, the Lord Jesus. We pray that we would understand that even where David himself fell short, that the Lord Jesus is uh, perfect in his accomplishments and that his successes uh, demonstrate your favor upon him. Lord, we pray then that our hope would be anchored in the Lord Jesus and that you would direct us in your will. In Jesus' name we pray.